This is Subversive, a podcast hosted by me, Alex Kashuta, to highlight hidden voices, uncommon perspectives, and our era's true intellectual elite, the anonymous poster. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so on Substack, Patreon, or PayPal. Thank you and enjoy. Today, I am joined once again by Charles Haywood. Uh, Charles is a successful entrepreneur. He is uh, an essayist, um, a writer, and the owner-operator of a wonderful blog, The Worthy House, uh, where you can uh, find uh, a variety of reviews of, of more right-wing post-liberal books, but also of, of shriekingly leftist books, uh, all in a, in a very... Um, um, understanding and uh, and erudite tone and um, yeah, I think I, I derive a lot of uh, value from his blog. Um, thank you so much for coming back on, Charles. It is my pleasure. I, <laughs> I am very happy to be here. Your show, maybe just over a year ago, was one of the the first shows that I I did, and uh, that was a, a great time for me and a great honor. And I'm very pleased to be invited back. My pleasure. I'm I'm glad to hear that. And uh, you've been on on many shows since then. I mean, I've I've listened to you on um, the American Mind. The the Anton conversations were really good. Uh, yeah, you've been you've been around on all sorts of sh- like shows in our in our space. Yes. No. I, I hopefully it's not used good, and I'll come up with something fresh. No. Fresh. No. You're you're blowing up. That's that's what the kids are calling it, which is really good because I think you've got um, a lot of interesting ideas to share. And I feel like kind of your, your more, your most current interesting idea that people are sharing uh, and are discussing quite um, you know, intensely recently is, is the no enemies to the right. I mean, this is not something you've, you've come up with, but you are probably one of the more um, clear and, and forceful uh, proponents of this, this idea. I mean, just give me a little bit of background. I mean, wh- where does this perspective come from and, and, and how did you come to the conclusion that this is the right tactic for for the right. No pun intended. Yes, uh, it's weird because this isn't really what I intended to be be doing in my December of 2022, and in some ways I, I dislike doing it because I think your internecine or internecine or however you pronounce it fighting is something that is is functionally, if not a waste of time, there was frequently a waste of time. It, it, it costs exceed its benefits. So I'm very hesitant in general about. Trying to create purity spirals and just generally attacking people on the right, and of course, when I say no enemies to the right, and I proceed to attack people who are, if not to my right, at least on the right, then it kind of seems like a, a contradiction in terms. In fact, my own mother was criticizing me for this, and my response to that was, and I'll come back to the background that yeah, that sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes wolves in sheep's clothing must be identified as wolves. And I don't mean to overstate, for example, Rod Dreher, who is the main uh, antagonist in this most recent argument. I don't mean to call him a wolf in sheep's clothing, except metaphorically, or rather I, he is a wolf in sheep's clothing, but maybe it's more like a you know a puppy dog in sheep's clothing or something that casts itself as something that is not, perhaps not as malevolent as a wolf. But this all started where, where Dreer, uh, who I've followed for years, I'm a big fan, or used to be a big fan, of, uh, of Rod Dreer, and uh, you know he, he's, he was out there 15 years ago saying stuff that nobody else was saying. And all of the stuff he's been saying for 15 years has had no impact at all, either on his enemies or on the stuff that he's been saying, because he continues to say 
the the same stuff. Uh, what Aaron uh, McIntyre and the Distributist called on a recent podcast of theirs performative outrage, which I thought was a a good thing. Rod is kind of turned into a performative outrage guy, so he was busy attacking some guy named. Well, I won't give his name, but because it's unfair, but a guy who worked at it was headmaster at his kid's school, virulently attacking him for some set of wrong thought, which frankly, I don't really know what it is because I've never looked into it because I don't care. And he, uh, I just, you know, now it's a matter of principle. I refuse to yeah, look I into mean, it. I mean, I've looked into it and I still don't care. <laughs> I'm sorry to say. Right. I mean, that's <laughs> my opinion. I mean, you know, he hasn't been found with like, uh, you know, the governor of, you probably not heard this, the Governor of Louisiana, this is a bit of a sidebar, but the governor of Louisiana used to be a guy named Edwin Edwards. This is maybe 20 years ago. And he was a classic kind of corrupt Louisiana politician, uh, but very flamboyant, very well liked by most segments of society. And he used to say that the only way I won't be reelected is if I'm caught in bed with a dead girl or a live boy. And so, uh, <laughs> and so, yes, unless this headmaster is in one of those two categories, I just don't care what, what he says, I guess is my point. In any case, so I'm not on Twitter, or I'm, I am on Twitter, but I'm only intermittently on Twitter. It's not like I'm massively online. But I happen to see Rod winding himself up on this, and I and I know Rod. I've, I was I did was a reader for his book "Live Not by Lies" and, and so on. So we're acquaintances, not not friends necessarily, but he knows who I am and vice versa. And so I just commented, "Yeah, you know, who cares? No enemies to the right." I thought this was a throwaway thing. And then he responded that this was a corrupt ethic. And I'm, and then I moved on with my life because who cares? Then he proceeded to write a whole piece in his very prolific blog at the American Conservative, attacking me, but not naming me or, or linking to me. Uh, and in his kind of not very coherent way, going on and on about how evil it was because you would let evil into your life if you didn't adequately police your right. So whereupon I, uh, at the request of I am 1776, wrote a dialogue with uh, D.C. Miller about this question, which Rod then proceeded to go crazy about. I mean, again, you know, I am 1776 is, is pretty well read, but this would be a relatively small contretemps if it weren't for the fact that Rod insists upon writing piece after piece, literally calling me a literal tool of Satan and like quoting an ex-Satanist that Haywood is bad. I'm like, dude, <laughs> anyway. Uh, so people can read all this stuff uh, if they want. It's all out there, except you can't read it. Uh, I can't read it because Rod blocked me on Twitter um, because, you know, that's what one does, I guess. So in any case, we can go over the the, the points, but but that's kind of the, the back and forth. So this, I don't think Rod responded to any of my points, honestly. It's all just kind of foaming at the mouth. Uh, there probably are legitimate criticisms or reservations about the stuff, some of the stuff that I wrote, but I don't think Rod actually identified any of them. Yeah. I mean, I have kind of, you know, from, from a distance looked at the, the whole, the whole thing and as it played out and uh, looked at, you know, at, at first, the, the, the first context of this was, you know, the um, kind of the, the, the doxing and defenestration of this, uh, of this uh, school headmaster or whatever that, that, that was involved. That thing kind of left a little bit of a bitter taste in my mouth. I thought that was not a very good Strategic move, even if you disagree with that person, I'm sure that there are private ways to do this instead of throwing someone on essentially the pyre of the gods of your enemy. Um, <laughs> you know, just the the idea that, okay, yeah, okay, you are you're guilty of the of the most grievous sin in our society and people are suffering. I mean, the, the question of, of who is suffering here, because you know, the, the 
I think in, in one of the articles and this, you know, I'm friendly with Rod Dreher. I, I know I've met him personally. You know, I, I like a lot of his writing. I know a lot of people on our side have been influenced by him, you know, like the distributist himself is, is you know, was was kind of converted by Dreher. So there is a lot of good influence here. So just that, I'm just disagreeing with him on on this particular um, way of handling things. Yeah. Um, at one point in one in one of his articles, he he compares, you know, the the fact that he speaks out about this to the fact that he he also spoke out about sex scandals in the in the Catholic Church. And these are essentially, you know, children being raped by grown men in a, you know, systematic way. You know, there are nuances to this. Maybe it's been blown, you know, blown out of proportions in some cases, but this has happened and it has been covered up in some certain circumstances. And I'm glad Rod wrote about it, but it is in no way comparable to some guy writing a thread about, I don't know, something vaguely white, white nationalist or some, some sort of, a man wanted some form of Orania to be built, whatever, in a uh, Baton Rouge, okay. you know, <laughs> whatever. And this is this is on his anonymous account. So, you know, this I don't know. This is kind of what I've taken from it. I'm sure you know. There's a lot of layers to it, and the fact that he then said that it wasn't his account, and then he recanted that. He said, "Oh, actually, it is me." And I guess you know, <laughs> the guy was really just surprised. Fundamental. I mean, I have many obje- fundamental objections, but narrowing specifically on the individual. The personality. One of the things is that uh, you know these things should be handled uh, privately rather than publicly. But the bigger point is that one of these things, as in the old Sesame Street words, one of these things is not like the other. That is, someone on the right who is attacked in this way, regardless of the legitimacy of the attack, the consequences to that person are immense. Someone on the left who is attacked doesn't even notice, and if he's, you know, it turns out, for, the, for example, that he's been engaging in some extremely bad behavior such that his employer can no longer employ him because he's getting too much blowback, he'll immediately get another job, probably a better job, higher paying job, at doing whatever he wants to do. So there's no actual, con- nobody on the left is ever actually canceled, ever. I mean, there's no, literally, I can't think of a, a single person on the left who has ever been canceled for saying or doing anything unless they are physically in prison and therefore can now no longer participate in the left ecosystem. And even then they probably participate to some extent. Whereas this guy, is going to have a hard time getting a job that's not a a, a completely non-political uh, job. I mean, like a manual labor job. And there's nothing wrong with, with manual labor. I, I speak highly of manual labor, but that's not what he wants to do with his life, clearly. And he has five children and so on. So Rod's responsible for that and he refuses to acknowledge that one of these things is not like the other. Yeah. And at, at one point, you know, he he kind of channels the, the suffering of of the hypothetical people suffering from this. I'm just thinking... In in base reality, who exactly is suffering from this, except for um, you know the the children of this particular man who's now been completely destroyed? I just, well, I'm just wondering tangibly in day to day existence, except for maybe some 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 cringe and you know uh, some pearl clutching by different people, maybe in contact with the with these you know terrible threads, to really see what exactly is going on here. So no, and and. And I think that there's many things going on here, obviously, and some of them relate to Rod personally, who keeps telling us all correctly that he's had a tough personal year, though. One yeah, of I, I don't think that's, you know, I'm, I'm sure he's had, I don't really want to go into that, you know, not to. But, but he keeps bitterly complaining that I engaged in personal invective, which is completely false, other than criticizing him for talking too much about his personal life. That is, he he, he seems to, he approaches this all with what I regard as a somewhat feminized approach, like we need to be agreeable rather. And when I pl- give him plain speaking, 
he refuses to respond to the plain speaking and instead, you know, starts shrieking about personal invective, which I think is is really no way to live. I mean, I'd be perfectly happy to talk with Rod or have a you know dialogue with Rod on these things, but it's never going to happen because he doesn't want to actually address any of the substantive points, even though, as I say, some of them have a reasonable pushback position. Uh, but I'm, you know, it, 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 we, we, it may well be that you have some things that you want to push back on, and I'm happy to talk about those. But Rod doesn't want to talk about those things, which is unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I mean, and obviously I tend to agree with you a little bit more in this case, but at the same time, I've seen... Um, not necessarily. I, I know you have a pretty nuanced position on what no friends, no no enemies to the right entails, but the meme of no enemies to the right taken, you know, flattened into how most people who are not necessarily, you know, digging into Carl Schmidt in their free time, you know, they're just kind of absorbing the memes as they come to them and, and processing them. Um, it, they they see it a little bit different, and it, I have seen it be. Uh, quite powerful fuel for this type of purity spiraling because the incentive here is to take the rightmost position because no enemies to the right. If people around you uh, decide no enemies to uh, to the right, then the rightmost position is the most protected because there will be enemies to your left and you will be the one to the judge for those people. And it, to be honest, it does empower people who are a little bit sociopathic in the sense that uh, people who tend to purity spiral, who love to purity spiral, which is a thing on Twitter and in these circles, um, tend to adopt no no enemies to the right and then just move ex- to to one extreme. Not necessarily because they believe this stuff, you know, like I don't know, female exterminationism, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> it's just, yeah, I mean, believe me, there's a lot of shit on the internet, <laughs> so you can you can move quite quite far to the right, and then you spend more time on Twitter or something. I spend I spend too much time on Twitter, unfortunately, much less so recently, uh, which I hope doesn't make the quality of this podcast worse. But um, yeah, just enough to be aware of all this all this stuff. So um, yeah, it, it does feel to me like that's kind of what what happens when you throw this idea out and people absorb it and. Um, it's not always good. So it, I do feel like it's good fuel for purity spiraling. And maybe you can explain how people should think about it so that this is not the way they take it. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a practical objection uh, and rather than a, a philosophical objection. Um, but it's a reasonable, reasonable objection. People, and if, if you know the people in the real world are going to behave in a certain way, one should do one's best to. I mean, this is a tactical strategy. It's a very practical. It's strictly a tactical strategy. Though, I mean, I do go in my piece into, you know, as you say, I talk about Carl Schmidt and how his subtle analysis should a friend-enemy distinction should not be tritely abused, or in other words, it should not be memified, as you say. Uh, but you know, that doesn't mean that people aren't going to, to do it anyway. But no enemies to the right is, of course, a tactical uh, tactical uh, injunction. That is, the idea isn't that we have to agree uh, with everybody to the right or that there are not positions to the right that are unacceptable as governing positions. What it means is that people to the right whom you disagree with uh, should not be ruled out as allies for things that are for political actions that are irrelevant to the immediate point of disagreement. So let's say there's, to take an, ex- well, it's not necessarily an extreme example, let's say there's some guy who thinks that white people are number one and all white people should be in charge and we, you know, everyone else should leave. Um, you know, I don't have any truck with that. But on the other hand, if that guy wants to work with me against gun control, you know, I just don't care what he thinks about in his spare time about, about white people. I, it's, 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 it's basically totally irrelevant to me. And once, as I, the overall arc of my piece was that 
the winning condition is the total defeat of the left. So once a tall order, once the left is completely defeated, there has to be a new governance condition. I don't intend that at that point, the people who think that white people should be exclusively in charge should be the people running the government. But that's a problem for the future. Right now, we have a real problem, which is that the left dominates everything and crushes everybody on the right. We can worry about the the uh, ultimate uh, resolution of disagree- philosophical disagreements on the right later, as long as we cooperate now to defeat the left. And so that's why it is a tactical injunction. But it also doesn't rule out admonishing within the right. No enemies to the right doesn't mean you have to agree with everybody to the right or not uh, tell them to their face that you disagree with them. It's just that doing it publicly is merely a way to help defeat us collectively because it plays into the hands of the left. And again, not to beat up on Rod, but though he's getting beat up a lot, he was very upset that people got jumped on his Twitter feed and were very mean to him, which they were, in fairness, um, about his personal life. Uh, the, the, it's just a, it, it just a tactical injunction how we can win. We can still have internal disagreements. They just need, need to be not done in a public manner that defeats the movement as a whole. Yeah, I want to encourage people to not beat up on on Rod after this. this the, the purpose of this isn't. I'm just, you know, we're we're both just kind of laying out our disagreements with Rod. I mean, he's he's a yes. polemicist. He's putting out ideas. People disagree with them. Like I said, you know, many things I agree with um, with Rod, but some some I don't. Um, and I think you know the, the the problem that I've I've seen here on 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 our side is. Um, the, the more power flows into the space because it, it was essentially a, a very weak space. It was just the kind of a place where people were throwing things against the wall and seeing what sticks. Now there's a little bit more clout, a little bit more power flowing into it. And it's essentially constantly convulsing into little schisms and things like that. So, you know, it's like if people say libertarians are, you know, herding cats. I feel like dissident right is even, is even more like that because um, we were split along so many things um, you know, religion, you know, paganism, Christians, uh, mm-hmm. even atheists gather here. Oh, um, yeah. The way of fixing this is to have a, uh, to coin a phrase, maximum leader, not myself. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean they, they, like Salazar or Franco, uh, their entire shtick was all you losers who fight with each other all day long are now going to be in my big party of national unity and you're going to get along. And you're going to, if you don't get along, you're going to keep your mouth shut about it. I mean, that's the traditional way of dealing with it. But there is no such figure on the right, obviously. You know, Napoleon isn't showing up, or rather has not shown up, and Trump certainly isn't going to do it. Uh, so I don't, know, I don't know where that leaves people on the right. It leaves them, as you say, squabbling with each other. Yeah, yeah, that, that seems to be it. I, I think probably that's one of the the few things that people, um, most people on the, on the distant right agree with, uh, is that kind of Caesar would be necessary. <laughs> it's the only kind of... Uh, Historically, it's historically preordained that the only way to solve a squabbling group of people, whether or not they have power, but definitely if they collectively do have power, is to have, have somebody be in charge who will order people to get along. It's like being a parent, right? You have a bunch of kids and they don't get along. Someone has to order them to get along. And that's the way it is. And, and to make them all pull in harness. But I think this is, at least from an American perspective, this is kind of antithetical to the way Americans think. Americans think that everybody's opinion should be equally valid and that if somebody tells you that your opinion needs to be kept under a bushel basket, that that's somehow some crime against humanity. The reality is that it, 
in well-run societies, there is an Overton window. And the Overton window is set by the people in charge. It's just that our Overton window sucks. <laughs> you know, we just need to have a totally different Overton window that has essentially like 2% overlap with our existing Overton window. But somebody has to ultimately set that window. I mean, there are people that I would simply would exclude. There are many people on the dissident right. Well, some people on the dissident right uh, who, a term I don't love, but which would, um, who I would completely exclude from governance in the same way they would completely exclude essentially 100% of people on the left from governance. Yeah. So essentially, the the conclusion here is that we're we're for good things and against bad things, and that's the kind of the governing principle. Right. Um, the Overton window is set by us. We're yeah. in the um, and I also feel like you know, has, has anyone ever done like a group project, either in like high school or college? You know, th- th- those dynamics play out very well. Um, you know, if, if you can't coordinate a group of three to four to five people to, you know, there's always someone doing everything and someone just slacking and a few people pretending to do something. And essentially, you know, a five person organization is a coordination problem. Uh, 300 million or what's, what's the, uh, the, the democratic scale that uh, the U S should work at. Uh, yeah. That's just, just, yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't pan out the way people think it. Yeah, I don't have a solution for this. I mean, I think a legitimate. There's a couple of legitimate criticisms of the the entire right project. One of which is that, you know, like everything, it's a relatively small sphere of people. Although I agree that there's an increasing amount of amount of power. But I can I my piece boldly says we need to entirely destroy the left after 250 years, so it becomes like the cult of Mithras. I mean, I, I could definitely be ca- ca- you know, castigated for, like, what's your plan for that, Haywood? Uh, well, you know, I probably have a few plans for that, but um, it, it's not obvious how that such a thing would happen. So a legitimate criticism might be, this is all a, fa- a fantasy. And so maybe so, but, you know, that doesn't mean that the points are not valid. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a fantasy now, um, but... Things are decaying um, in some places rapidly, in some places more slowly, uh, in some places more visibly, in some places more invisibly, and yeah. they might, you know, lead to a shock. I mean, you've you've been um, prophesizing that things might come to an end earlier than than most people expect. So twenty thirty. Twenty thirty. Okay. 40. 2030, 2030 will be Mad Max anarchy and no, things no, will re- I don't believe in anarchy. I believe that I believe in, in societal fracture, meaning uh, reformation of of society along completely different lines, both governance and you know, non-governance aspects of society. I do not believe in Mad Max. I, I, there, there's never been any Mad Max in the uh, in the Western world for longer than 20 seconds or 20 minutes or something. So I, I don't see Mad Max. So living where I do and, you know, being who I am, I'm well prepared for Mad Max, but that's all just kind of a LARPer fantasy. You know, I can play Mad Max, but I don't think I'm going to have to. Yes. No, that's, that's kind of what, what I expect as well. Um, but, but it is, it is really interesting because things are, are, are shifting very slowly. And it also feels to me like we, we've been kind of lulled into this and just looking at, at people around me, and we're getting inflation and very close to what it was, you know, when I was growing up, when we, you know, we had to cut four zeros off the currency, you know, we used to be paid in, in hundreds of millions. So, you know, but yeah. people are not in the streets. I mean, there, there's a certain mechanism of, of keeping people, I don't know, calm or numb or detached. Maybe the internet has something to do with it. I don't know. 
but we're we're being kind of pulled into all these these stories about how things work rather than the lived reality of of how things are actually in you know your money doesn't stretch as far by the month at this point energy yeah. bills are are crushing like i pay, I pay like a, a thousand euros a month for energy for my house you know this is nuts and yeah. compared to romanian salaries that's literally you you, you go bankrupt now i'm heavily involved in the local level in kind of in, in america at least they call food pantries basically distribution of food to poor people in the local area and it, the demand even the past 6 months is through the roof but you see nothing in the news about this there's all these people and our energy costs, we don't have the energy costs that you do. If we had the energy costs that you do, it'd be, it'd be even worse. But I mean, there, there's a legitimate huge increase in demand for food for people who just aren't making it. Yet there's nothing in the papers about it. You know, Mitch McConnell, that odious cretin, it was yesterday saying the number one priority for Republicans and for America is giving more money to Ukraine. I, but meanwhile, we get nothing at all about the people who just can't make it here. I mean, I, I, and but why people aren't in the streets about this is not clear. To me. Maybe because they still do have enough food. I mean, at some point, if they literally cannot get food, then you would think that people would do something about it. But I agree, it is somewhat mysterious to me, probably relates to some set of psyops and Netflix and the internet and so on, that the people have not engaged in a more concerted set of actions to improve their situation. Yeah, I think that people have been kind of um, disconnected from things with COVID. They're barely kind of back on their feet. And then Ukraine obviously is an an extremely good explanation for why things are going downhill because obviously Putin's pulling the strings and destroying the world economy. And, you know, he's a bad guy. So obviously you have to, you know, quadruple your your energy bill. Um, Yeah, that just makes a complete sense. If you spend enough time on the internet and, and mainstream corners, it does make complete sense because they just I, hammer I, it into you. I, I, I mean, and maybe that's just a, a a statement about the low quality or caliber of, of people's political thought. But I just, I mean, one of my core theories is that Americans, at least, uh, are not as far gone as people think they are. They may appear to be in some ways, but I think there's a large amount of common sense and even virtue there, despite the many myriad problems that Americans have. But then you look at this, and, and I, 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 it's not clear to me who thinks all these things, like that, you know, who supports Mitch McConnell's idea. Is it people who have plenty of money? It's it probably more on average people on the left than on the right, but there's plenty of people on the right who are all in for giving our bottom dollar to to Ukraine to continue their corrupt and merry way. I, I really don't understand it. It causes me great frustration. <laughs> Yeah. And and also, I mean, the, the kind of the win condition for them doesn't involve support. It involves the lack of coordinated, extremely large scale resistance, which people, you know, you can disagree silently at home. But if you're not out there with, I don't know, pitchfork and, you know, ready to set shit on fire, it, it doesn't even yeah. register with your political betters. Well, I mean, you can set shit on fire if you're, you're protesting. Of course. Of course. George Floyd dying. I mean, okay, fine. But uh, my kind of, as a political theory matter, my claim has always been that to the extent spicy times develop, they'll be started by the left and finished by the right. On the other hand, I also thought Trump was likely to start that. And Trump has been looking 
even more clownish than before if such a thing is is possible. So it's not like, I, I, I mean, not to beat up on, on Rod Dreher again, but just to use an example, it's not like I, I, I turn from Rod Dreher to my savior, Donald Trump, who's going to make everything better. I, everybody's kind of, you know, not very helpful nowadays. And again, that's a source of, of frustration to me. Do you have any sort of hope in anyone that is currently on the political scene? I know people, you know, talk about uh, DeSantis being a promising guy. Any sort of Caesar figure on the horizon for you? <laughs> well, as as the Bible says, and as the Earl of Essex said right before he was executed, put not thy trust in princes. And so uh, I don't have any hope for a particular individual uh, that I can see now because there's no path from here to there in the current political environment. That is to say, if DeSantis wins, DeSantis is not going to be able to accomplish much more than Trump, simply because, as we all know, the array of forces against him. The benefit of someone like DeSantis, or even Trump, but Trump, as I say, is less useful for this, the benefit of someone like DeSantis becoming president is that it would immediately begin the spicy times because the left is incapable of absorbing the idea that the arrow of history can falter, much less point in the other direction. So, and you see this, I always revert to my favorite example, the Finnish Civil War of 1919, where the left immediately started a civil war when they did not have the electoral victory that they expected. I'm not saying civil war necessarily, though I'm not ruling that out. But to the extent I'm looking for a fracture and a change, I would predict that would be the path. And so it could be DeSantis, but it won't be because DeSantis wakes up one day and crosses the Rubicon and uh, and waves waves the flag around. Uh, it'll be for some other set of structural reasons. Yeah, and I am just thinking about, you know, kind of what I know about the the history of the Soviet Union and essentially Romania, kind of how things played out, because we were kind of in, in a similar process where um, things that were not real uh, were implemented forcefully forcibly by a regime that didn't didn't consider nature when when they implemented them um it took 10 20 30 years to to see that okay that led to starvation you know people even even important people were starving so okay and the next phase in that when the shit hit the fan a lot was that you kind of had a a, a silent rule by people who could make stuff work uh and they got a lot of power like people who were brought in because they knew how to keep the lights on. You know, the, like the last guy who knew how to keep the lights on. People realized, okay, after all this politics, even the even the politics at this point requires us to keep people alive. You know, to feed their children. You know, this this is we were one step away from revolution. So the way they staved off revolution for a while was by bringing in um, kind of in a way technocratic people who are not you know, Caesar, but they were Caesar for their particular department. They were brought in to actually fix stuff. So um, I hope that maybe there was going to be a move. I'm, I'm not for technocracy, but I'm for things working, you know, you for lights on. The current regime might do that, bring in people who are competent and unideological. If, if you know, if things really hit the fan and if there is like the, the ferment for a revolution, um, for a revolution of taking power from the left, there might be appeasement through competence. You know? Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I mean, it's an interesting idea. I, I, I'm I'm off the cuff skeptical that they would do that because of the degree of ideology. I mean, I think late communism was less ideological than the current uh, you know, wokeism. But uh, you're right. It's it's attractive alternative to losing all power completely. Yeah, I mean, there there are ways to to sweeten the deal <laughs> slowly for for different factions and and play politics. 
But yeah, I mean, it really doesn't doesn't compare. You know, uh, the the Václav Havel's greengrocer. You know, he he was putting out the sign, but everyone knew that that was bullshit. At the moment, I would say fifty percent of people are convinced that in this house we believe is actually the Ten Commandments, and they really do believe this stuff. And like you said, that's that's a much more dangerous combination. And um, and they even believe it here, which is incredible. People are concerned. <laughs> that really is incredible. But I'm planning on having a, I may have used a meme generator to do this in a JPEG, but I'm going to have a t-shirt in that kind of, you know, in this neighborhood, we believe uh, text. And it says, in this neighborhood, we decide the state of exception and who is, <laughs> friend, who is enemy. I'm going to wear that shirt around Costco and see if anybody notices. <laughs> Oh man, <laughs> Antifa might notice. <laughs> no, they wouldn't get it. I mean, you may have missed this, but uh, in my neck of the woods, so in Greenwood, which is in southern Indianapolis, I live in, in the area. Uh, in the summer, the uh, state legislature passed a law saying that anyone over eighteen who doesn't have a criminal record can carry a concealed handgun without a special permit. Uh, and uh, a couple weeks later. Some guy tried to shoot up a mall and some 18-year-old kid just pulled out a gun and popped him in the head from 75 feet away. <laughs> so uh, around here, you, Antifa does not, uh, does not show up and bother people because things like that happen to them. That's, that's good, actually. <laughs> I live in it. I mean, you obviously know a lot about America, but it, it's hard to convey to people who areas where most of America lives that don't get any media attention, just don't face those same kind of things. I mean, there's no Floyd riots where I live because the people who try to conduct Floyd riots would just get shot. And, and the police would laugh and the prosecutors would laugh and everyone would have a good old time. So uh, the, that, that, you know, the, the Floyd riots only can take place in places where the police, uh, or at least the local government who administers the police and the prosecutors are in favor of the riots. That's why you don't see riots in a lot of other places. And they don't like to talk about that because obviously that undercuts their perception of power. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a good observation. I mean, America contains multitudes. Um, I just, I just hope there are enough, uh, Greenwood, you said <laughs> enough. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, there, there's, uh, I mean, again, this is hard to explain to a, someone who lives abroad, it's just the sheer scale of, of guns, they're just you know, actively carried on the street. My, uh, my, a friend of mine's son went off to college and had an Indian roommate. And, uh, and he reported this, uh, talking to this friend, he said, like, the Indian roommate just couldn't conceive of the fact, because this was like a small town somewhere out west, how, of how many people were just wandering around openly with guns. <laughs> like, it like, broke his mind coming from India that there were all these guns. So it's, it's just, again, that's just the way it is in most of America. Yeah, I mean... Uh not that Romania is a country filled with guns, but I mean, in, in our household, I grew up, there were lots of guns because my, my dad was a hunter. He had rifles all over the place. You know, he even had a handgun, which was kind of semi-legal, but he knew the guy. So it's kind of, it's kind of like, like that place, but, you know, obviously never, never shot that one. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's normal. And we had a lot of hunters, you know, it wasn't a problem. I mean, my husband's from New Zealand. They also have a lot of hunters, also no problem with the guns. Um, seems like it's not the guns. <laughs> seems like no. it's not. But I mean, again, everybody knows this, but it's it's like so much, and this kind of goes back to the no enemies to the right. It's kind of the flip side of it that is arguing with the left on a substantive basis is a waste of time. That is, you can, you know, for example, gun control is the classic example of this. I have resoundingly won 
for decades every actual argument about gun control that I've engaged in because left people on the left don't understand guns at all, don't know anything about guns. And my winning all of those arguments had a grand total of zero impact whatsoever on what my interlocutors thought. It's just a total waste of time because the way they want to get rid of guns, both for kind of quasi-religious beliefs that, you know, guns are bad, like, you know, Satan's bad, guns are bad, you know, these things are like each other and they're just inherently true and completely, a couple of the reasons, nonsensical beliefs about uh, about, uh, what guns are used for and so on. But also they're trying to cover up they don't want to believe what the real causes of crime are. So they like when they look to ascribe them to some kind of inanimate object. So the goal is not to convince the left. The, the, the goal is to defeat the left, forbid their opinions from being expressed, drive their leaders out of the country, confiscate their assets, and then we won't have a problem with it anymore. The end. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, you're, you're in a situation where the left has power. I mean, everyone would agree with it. Rod Dreher would agree with this. He's he's agreeing with this. He has been agreeing with this for the last fifteen years. And they have power from a position of essentially they 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 have the state religion. They have what people actually believe in. Like we said, people really do believe this stuff, and they really do believe that the opposite of this stuff is evil. So you're essentially trying to engage in in rational discussions with people who are you know have a I mean, maybe not an irrational, but a very emotional position. Um, and they're in power. <laughs> so you one, you're not speaking to their rational faculties. You're not you're not engaging on the same playing field. There is no such thing as a marketplace of ideas. You're not convincing anyone here. Um, and two, they don't care. <laughs> really. So the only way to beat these people is by accruing power in, in very hard ways because it's not easy for people on our side. Well, right. I mean, I, I think there is... <laughs> It's extremely, the only way to do it is through some kind of fracture. That is, and many people have made this point, this is by no means original to me, obviously, that there's no path for the right to do what the left did on their path to power. The only way for the right to gain power is through picking up the pieces after some kind of fracture and acting in an appropriately sociopathic way. Uh, it, it, and it, and you know, it, there's many people on the right who just don't want to do that. And I worry about this too. Like, I don't want to be that guy who history regards as a bad person because he did all these bad things in the pursuit of some larger goal. And that's a real risk when, again, back to the topic of the day, of no enemies to the right. And, and I'm pointing this out in my piece. But it, aside from kind of the simplification and memification of the claim, it, it also gives you license to do things that are objectively immoral. Like you know, drop bombs on children or something. Hey, wait, we do that already. Never mind. But anyway, I mean, we don't want to be the people who you know, like Obama, drop bombs on wedding parties full of children because we don't see ourselves as those kind of people, and we don't want to, in the afterlife, have to pay the price for uh, for being a bad person. So that's a very difficult circle, square, square to circle, circle to square, whatever, <laughs> a difficult conundrum to resolve because. He, the fact is that in order to gain power throughout history, people who gain the power typically engage in various behaviors that you and I are not very comfortable with, living in our comfortable apartments, watching our Netflix, watching our children play around in the yard. I mean, who wants to be that guy? Uh, that's a real problem for gaining of power. I don't have a solution for that one either because I don't want to be that guy either. Yeah, I think this is a, a really good point that uh, Bronze Age Pervert makes as well. It's like, um, you know, if if we want the power uh, that we say we want, 
um, at one point he had, he formulated this differently. I don't remember exactly the thing, but um, it w- it would require a complete indifference to the outcome of the third world. Yeah. Whatever happens there happens. It's not our business. Who in any sort of leadership capacity could, you know, rid themselves of the live aid mindset or whatever, you know, obligations we have to X and Y countries and actually, you know, act like that. You know, it's not, it's not like, you know, bomb the third world, but like, you know, cut off aid and see what happens. That's less of a problem because the, to the extent there is some kind of fracture, people simply won't have the resources or the bandwidth to look at other countries. Um, it, 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 if, you, if you believe in people like John Michael Greer and these kind of prophets of technological doom, which I have some sympathy for, but I'm a technological optimist, though sometimes I wonder why. <laughs> but uh, that's, a, that's a different story. I'm just saying, like, you know, the, the, you know, in America, there's a bunch of bad people who need to leave the country. There's a bunch of bad people who need to be you know, taken through the judicial process for their sins, like corrupting children. But do you really want to be that? Do I really? I, mean, I'd re- I like my comfortable life. I don't want to be running like Nuremberg style trials for bad people. I mean, that's unfun. Who wants to do that? <laughs> I want to enjoy myself, have a nice beer and watch the, watch the sunset in the West. Uh, so uh, until people, and, and that means, of course, that the people who, who are willing to do those things tend to come to the front and those people tend to be sociopaths. Uh, I'm reading this book. Um, so Ernst von Solomon was this German writer. Have you ever heard of him? No. So he, he wrote a book uh, uh, called um, uh, The Outlaws, which was, uh, uh, well, it's, it's English translation, which is about his experience of fighting uh, in uh, post-World War I Germany, like fighting in the Baltics and so on. But he also wrote a different book called uh, Der Fragebogen, which is a response to the questionnaire that the Allies imposed on essentially all Germans after the war, trying to smoke out the people who had uh, who had behaved as allies or who had had some role during the National Socialist era in uh, in Germany. But it's fascinating to read it because he was not a Nazi. He was, I think, his girlfriend or wife was Jewish, and he was very right wing. But he he didn't he had no truck at all with the, the Nazis. But the the amount of organization that comes through when he writes about about this and the kind of sociopathic focus of the Nazis was what brought them to power. And this comes through very clearly in his, in his, he basically says that all these people, my friends of mine, like we just watched, not that we were on the left and we opposed the Nazis for that reason, but they simply had the no compunctions about taking power. So when I say there's no enemies on the right, I do worry that the people on the right who will ultimately come to power will be the kind of people that I don't like. And I'll be like, no, no, this isn't what I meant. You guys are a bunch of creeps. What are you doing? I mean, that's a real problem. You you may get what you wish for and you may discover that it's not what you wanted after all. I mean, nothing could be worse than the left, frankly, but that doesn't mean that what was going to replace the left is going to be very palatable at all. And I I worry about that. Not enough to like lie awake at night, but philosophically, I worry. Yeah, that's that's kind of why I I tend to agree with with you more maybe than on on this uh, you know, in this discussion, um, because I feel like this is much more realistic uh, in the sense that there is no good solution to politics. Um, there is only the ex- the exercise of power will happen with you or without you. There are very clear, historically recorded ways of, of attaining power. Um, and 
a lot of times it's it's us versus them. And I mean, a lot of times, every time it's us versus them. We've just kind of covered up the the fact that it, it has been us versus them for a while now. And they've been winning because they're very good at covering this type up with, you know, a lot of kindness talk and a lot of, you know, they're, they're shrouding it in, in the words of, uh, of uh, yeah, tolerance and, and all this. Um, but it's been bloody. Um, and yeah, it's just, you know, you, you're not supposed to notice. Shrouding is a good word. I mean, it's always shrouded. It's not, not just the left. The, it, it, unless you have a relatively small, homogenous society, it's simply hard to run a society that doesn't behave in a variety of unpleasant ways, either internally or externally, <clears throat> or both. I mean, I read, I'm reading this book, and the review will come out soon, about the, the uh, Jewish revolt against the Romans in AD 69, Ah, uh, and you know, the the way that everybody back then behaved. I mean, the Romans would just come in and like kill every man, woman, and child in random village X, then move on to random village Y, and everyone kill everybody. I mean, there, people today just simply can't conceive of how uh, poorly poorly is the wrong word, but how nastily everybody used to behave. And, and I, I don't I don't like that. I mean, the 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 kind of we have the extreme now with the the left, while they kill people on the one hand. Then they also say nobody can can get killed. But we live in this in this kind of Christian suffused world where yeah, people may get killed, but we don't want to endorse that, and you know we pretend it didn't happen, or we like after the fact try to you know make amends or what have you. But yeah, that's not the way human nature is, and I don't want to go back to. I mean, the, the paganism thing is a good point. Like Bronze Age pervert, I'm a big admirer of Bronze Age pervert, but I'm not sure I want Bronze Age pervert as the agent of governance. Uh, or like Bronze Age perverts philosophy, because I think that would be a bad system of governance. The the Greek city states that you know, Bronze Age Greeks were bad people and engaged in way engaged in behavior that we would find appalling. I mean, the exposure of infants, the you know, random slaughter of entire populations, even people like the like the Athenians of the Golden Age regularly involved in mass slaughter of male male members of defeated populations. So I, I don't. Once we win. I don't really want Bronze Age pervert and his elk to be in charge. I just don't. I mean, I, that's not a knock on him. Um, honestly, I'd rather have Rod Rear in charge than, than Bronze Age pervert. But for now, in terms of our goals, BAP is a more useful person than, than Rod Rear. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, I, I think maybe that the, uh, the, the, the in real life person BAP is maybe a more mellow character than the character, the internet character BAP, you know, he, he might be a very sophisticated political operator who doesn't want to slaughter the Amalekites or whatever. <laughs> no, I make an excellent king. I, I agree. I, I mean, the, the, uh, the slightly caricatured, I mean, you know, BAP likes to play this Martin Bailey thing where he says like, I'm just an internet comedian. And then he says something. You know, about, like, just Martin like John Stewart. Stewart. Very powerful. Yes. So I can't do that. I'm, I'm, I may be an internet comedian, but if so, it's purely accidental and it's people laughing at me, not with me. I um I also wanted to remark on, on I think, I don't know if you've coined this, but I think it's a very useful uh, phrase, you know, scrutinism. This appears in one of your articles related to this whole thing. Um, and I, I really like the, I think your image there is that, you know, the the erudite intellectual, you know, walking through, you know, a, a graveyard, a, a very civilized graveyard, you know, to illustrate Western civilization. And, you know, they're really complaining, but they have been complaining for, you know, decades, maybe in a very you know, very clear way and they're right, obviously. Uh, but but that's about it. <laughs> and then, you know, credits roll and it fizzles out and that's it. 
the, the scrutinism thing, I've read a lot of scrutin. Um, and uh, my mother, again, is always telling me how great scrutin is. And yeah, I love scrutin too. But, you know, scrutin was a great guy. But the, he had in one of his books, maybe it was How to Be a Conservative or one of them, he had a, a, an essay called A Valediction Forbidding Morning. He did exactly that. He like sat around, literally sat around the churchyard and, and, and talked about, uh, talked about basically, we can't mourn because this churchyard is great. I'm like, yes, you can mourn because all sorts of bad things are happening in your country and you're not doing anything about them. You're sitting on your ass in the churchyard. And so I mean, the, uh, England's, a, I mean, much worse off than America in terms of the bad behavior of various invading groups who, you know, frankly, vigilante justice is the appropriate uh, remedy for. Though, of course, the government would take extreme measures to to prevent that. From, you know, Scruton, and this was, I mean, okay, he had terminal cancer, he died. This was before he was sick. And so, I mean, I, okay, fine. If he was like three months from dying, I could understand that he wants to sit in the churchyard and get right with God and fine, okay? But while he was in his prime, it, it would have made more sense if he had thought of it more. Yeah, I mean... It, it it is much easier to um to try to be kind of the the, the court um, philosopher than to you know to actually engage in the fight because you you see you know uh, what happens when you start fighting and I you know I can I can see I mean Curtis Yarvin also makes this point a lot that you know it's not it's not his role to be to be fighting he's just here to you know, uh, whisper, whisper weird, weird uh, words into the ear of whoever exactly. might look like, right? I mean, you know, you give it, if attacking people to the right is not what fighting consists of. But like, you know, I, I, I put a thing on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, and it was true that I, I keep getting not a ton, but a non-zero amount of DMs from people with you know newly created accounts with zero followers asking me how we can organize to advance our goals. You know, <laughs> like, you know, I mean, I'm not sure what that looks like, but I'm sure not responding to you, random dude. Uh, but I mean, it, it's a serious point, which is like, what does fighting look like? I mean, it, it looks like the things we're doing, which could be accused of too much philosophizing, but are really forming networks of people who may be of use in some future more fluid situation. And I always joke that, I'm not going to become a warlord. I'm going to become the head of an armed patronage network. But, uh, but you know, I'm not going to become a head of an armed patronage network today, but we're preparing for the future. The problem is that you can prepare for the future forever and then you die. And then like, what was the point? But I don't have a solution to that question either. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, know, I know you've, um, you've um, kind of uh, reinforced your compound and that, uh, yeah, People have been told me that they've been um, they've been recruited to be to be armed, you know, gun gunmen at uh, <laughs> the compound. My theory is that every compound needs a certain amount of what I call shooters. I put this in one of my reviews, so it's not like uh, it's not you know not private, but um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I. But again, I mean, I don't anticipate Mad Max kind of scenarios, but hey, you know, if the asteroid hits Chicago and the ash cloud starts to fall on my house, I guess that's that's going to be a problem, and maybe we will have uh, have Mad Max. But I mean, to your earlier point. Much of it is just a slow degradation of everything. Uh, I, I don't have much truck with Barry Weiss, who was one of the intellectual dark web people, the, the former New York Times editor, who now has a very popular Substack. Uh, I, you know, I think she's the classic example of IDW not being useful. But Walter Kern, uh, the author Walter Kern, who's an excellent guy, wrote a piece on her Substack this morning about exactly this, the degradation of of everyday appliances and, and things like that and how they don't work and so on. Um, that's a more likely slow decline for some period of time until the fracture is more likely than tomorrow. I'll wake up and have to activate my arm patronage network. 
So <laughs> it, it'd be kind of fun to have an armed patron network, but you know, my life expectancy would probably drop radically. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I, I agree with the, with the Walter Kern's perspective. I mean, that's, you know, you could see this in, in every sort of level. Um, yeah. It's just the, the texture of everything, you know, it, it really doesn't doesn't feel like you know we used to have a feel, especially here in, in Eastern Europe, which maybe is more more the case here than it is in the West. Even that things are getting better because things were really getting better for for a while between like the end of the nineties and like the the two thousands and even like up to maybe the COVID. Things are really getting better, um, but now every year seems like man, I hope we're gonna be okay next year. You know, you kind of pull through the year and then you're like, whoo, we made it. But then next one, we hope, you know, hope the companies will be around. Hope, you know, if you have clients or if you have suppliers, you know, you hope so. And then at the end of the year, there's like maybe 70% left in both groups. And you're like, oh, good. We made it. If you're paying a thousand euros a month for a residential home in energy. I mean, that's not going to get it. If the war continues, that's not going to get better next winter. I, I, on my phone, I have a meme and it shows... A, I, this meme was distributed at the end of January 2020, so before COVID. I can't even remember what happened in January 2020, but the meme, it was a big month for stuff that allegedly happened. The meme showed this, so this guy, uh, this guy with his head down, um, like all depressed and like a burning city behind him and a, and a stick figure had its arm around him. And the stick figure was marked 2020. And the, and the stick figure was saying, and that was only January. <laughs> and so, I mean, this meme came out at the end of January 2020. I mean, think of all the, the bullshit that's happened since then. So, I mean, I don't what what happened in January? Can you remember what happened before COVID? No, no one can remember. What, what, but there was enough so that people were making memes about what a, you know, what a ludicrously eventful month it was. But we can't even remember what happened. It, it, it's I, I need to go like look up what happened. I think they like the U.S. like killed that random Iranian guy and some other stuff like that, Soleimani. But I mean, it, people thought it was like a very eventful month, and and it was nothing. And by but the events have not been positive. They haven't been cool, like curing cancer or going to Mars or something. No, they've been shit events. <laughs> so, so, I don't like it. it. Makes me angry. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure Stephen Pinker would come up with some some a list of cool things happened that happened in January 2020. No, I have no, no, I have no use for Pinker either. But uh, anyway, so uh, I, maybe 2023 will be wonderful. We can be positive. How about that? Yeah, I think that's, you know, that's a that's a uplifting, you know, maybe very vague white pill that we're just going to throw out there before the question of the show, which I have to ask you again, in case you do have someone to recommend someone new. Um, you have a subversive thinker that you'd like to recommend to the, to the audience? Well, you know... Uh, it's funny. I was lying awake last night and I was thinking, I need to come up with an answer for this. And then, as I, I told you off, off camera, uh, this morning, I, a deer got stuck in my fence and I had to, uh, I had to deal with that. So I, was not, I did not return to my, my uh, question of the, uh, the, author, uh, the author. So I did come up with an idea, uh, but I wouldn't describe this author necessarily as subversive. I mean, last time I said Ernst Jünger and Carl Schmidt, and those people are clearly, clearly subversive. I thought about saying Ernst von Solomon, who I mentioned earlier, but you know, really, at some point, if you, all you list is like German authors of the yeah, too many Ernsts, <laughs> like suspicious. You start to look like you know Hitler adjacent or something. <laughs> when I was younger, I used to have several biographies of Hitler, and I would always scatter them around my bookshelves because you put them all together, it makes it look like it's a fan. Yeah, you're a Hitler scholar or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, but uh, there's a guy that uh, I, I think is actually highly worth reading. 
uh, who's not really subversive, he's an ac- currently alive academic, Stephen Kotkin, who's a mm-hmm. uh, academic. He writes a lot about Russia. He, he, he has a book called Uncivil Society about the fall of communism in Eastern Europe, uh, including Romania, which, which is very good. Uh, he focuses on Eastern Europe, I mean, sorry, on uh, Romania, East Germany, and Poland, and discusses the, the fall of communism. But he's, he's also very well known for a multi-volume uh, biography of Stalin. And it, I think he is subversive to a certain extent because he has a nuanced view of the current Russo Ukraine war, as opposed to the you know, propaganda crap that you will get in any mainstream newspaper. So he, he, given his historical perspective and just he's a smart guy, he, he has a lot of interesting things to say about the Ukraine war. I think he had, um, uh, he, had, he, had a, he attended a conference at Hillsdale College here a couple months ago and gave a very interesting speech uh, about that, which is available on the internet. So Stephen Kotkin, K-O-T-K-I-N, I think is, is something that, if not technically subversive, is something that's, that's uh, highly beneficial to read in this day and age, both for history lessons and for direct application to current events. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's highly relevant to, to, to my life as well. So I'll, I'll definitely look them up. Um, I wanted to thank you so much for coming back on. Um, I want to point people towards the worthy house, absolutely stellar content, best book reviews anywhere. Um, and, um, I also wanted to, again, encourage people to not be mean to Roger or this is not what this podcast is about. <laughs> We're not here to, to, to rag on Rod, but just absolutely disagree with him because we do. I mean, I do. Um, and obviously Charles does as well. Um, that's, that's our show. And yeah. Uh, is there any other thing that people should read? Are you working on any other project? No, no. I mean, I, I, I have, uh, I have a slightly higher public profile than I used to. And you know, like you, I actually use my real name and likeness, uh, which is you know, surprisingly, no one's abused me. Like I get almost no DMs other than the random wannabe feds and so on. Like, you know, and occasionally people I know, but like, surprisingly, like uh, no one started abusing me, but like Rod, that's not an excuse to abuse me. Please don't send me hate, hate mail. I'm just, it's just, uh, I'm just uh, happy to be here. Yeah, it's the same here. I mean, you know, as a non-anonymous troll demon, I'm, um, you know, I'm, I don't really get that much abuse. So it's, yeah. I don't know, I'm not recommending it. I also live, you know, in the sticks. Obviously, Charles is independently wealthy. You know, we are the exception. So be careful. Right, yeah, don't don't, don't lose your job. <laughs> don't be dumb. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you so much, Charles. Um, yeah, this was lovely. And uh, yeah. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you too. If you'd like to support my work and access more content, please consider subscribing through Substack, Patreon, or PayPal. See you next week.